This is Sound Awake on SAFM. Okay, so we did say that uh, we've got uh, trending topics for you. Now, the special thing about this is that uh, we have all what you need to know when it comes to what's trending. Trending topics it is. And we also have uh, the likes of a very special guest that we invite a social commentator to bring you into the space to find out what and make sense because it may be trending and you want to know why is this trending of all things uh so yeah it's mighty jamie the researcher the analyst and social commentator how are you doing mighty i'm doing well good morning to you and good morning to the listeners well 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 what a day in this world of us uh we saw that uh there was a, a picketing of there's no place in South Africa for Belinda Migo. I mean, we can't even repeat what she's saying, but this has just been spiraling since mm. it launched. Yeah, I think um, we need to really have a conversation about um, the undercurrents of racism in South Africa because what this moment revealed, and I think why everyone responded the way that they did is because everyone has experienced this in their day-to-day lives, in moments when they couldn't necessarily pull out a smartphone or capture the evidence and say, I knew it. I knew that this person was, uh, you know, believing particular things about black people. And if you think about the context in which she had said, she's very passionate about this. I really believe in this. And even if you think about Adam Castavellis, he was so enthusiastic to be in a space which did not have any black people. Mm. And this undercurrent continues to exist. So I think that why you see the reaction, you know, is something that we need to really unpack. Because on the one side, we know that the sentiment continues to exist in certain pockets of South Africa. On the other side, a lot of the structural racism has allowed for uh, abuse of uh, black and brown people in South Africa has allowed for continuing discrimination against them. And all of this happens in the context of, you know, um, an economy which is highly unequal, where people are going through unemployment and going through high levels of poverty. So I'm saying all of this to say that even though we are in this moment, we have to peel away at the layers and really unpack what this moment reflects because it seems like it's a moment that recurs mm. quite frequently but the most recent trigger or the most recent element of the discussion obviously Azapo has been saying that you know uh, Belinda Migo should go mm. and leave well that's something that's very unreasonable because she's a South African citizen um, but uh, the, the other side of the equation is people trying to find rationalizations or justifications for this because Belinda herself said well, you know, I, I'm diabetic and, you know, uh, I said this because of the diabetes. And I think we have to be very clear that there's no justification or rationalization mm. for hate speech, whether it's anti-Semitism, xenophobia, Afrophobia, you know, sexism, whatever the case may be. Someone can't come and say I was drunk mm. or I have diabetes or I've got cancer in my family or anything like that because it's an attempt to avoid accountability. But um, we really need to reflect on why does a pocket of South Africa still have this animus towards people of different races than them? And also, why are we not 
creating a society that really, really, you know, extinguishes the flames of hatred and just takes away the bravado of people to say this. Because the WhatsApp of 200 people is a big place to actually spread hatred and assume that there will be no consequences. Mm. Even though they, she claims it was said in a private WhatsApp group. And there's a couple of uh, uh, diabetes groups coming out saying that <laughs> that this is nonsense about, you know, mm. her low blood pressure was the reason. They're slamming it. And she's also been evicted out of her home. It's not going to go very well for this lady. No, it's not going to go very well. And we, we, we mustn't, um, you know, underplay what she said. It was some of the most horrific stuff I've ever heard in my whole life. To say humanity, certain human beings are less than dogs. That is basically the, the, the tenets of slavery tenets of colonialism and apartheid to say that people are, are worse than dogs and mm. to even say that wounds must be removed uh, to prevent black men from existing that is just just appalling and you know if you if you speak that kind of reckless talk there will be consequences and this is what she, she deserves you know because even if she says there were 200 people, or, I mean, that it was a private group, it was a very large group. And in fact, the whole basis of the group also to just support people which are killing people right now almost shows a lack of empathy from other members of that group because they came together to say, well, these people want our dogs to be taken away because they, they killed a few children. I mean, who comes together with a group to try to defend an animal that has been killing children? Mm. I mean, if you think about it, the whole premise of the group, I think, also needs to be examined. And they immediately dissolved it and closed the group because I think they didn't want to be held accountable for some of the other things that may have been said or were happening in that group. And, you know, if you speak it to 200 people, you may think it's a private group, but it's not. It's not. And, uh, yeah, the fact that the group is dissolved, they knew the legal implications and Mm -hmm. ramifications of that group. So, yeah, we've got uh, the legal eagle, Advocate Dalian Porfo, complaining of needing more time to complete his submission to the committee on why Busisiwe Mkobane wants the evidence leaders removed and replaced. Break it down for us. Well, uh, this committee has been a, a site of drama and, you know, controversy for uh, more than a minute, to be quite honest with you. The chairperson and advocate that involved who have um, been quite confrontational with each other, um, but there are different expectations of different actors in this kind of a proceeding. But just to give everyone a, a recap, uh, yesterday, um, Dalimpofu uh, basically asked for more time to complete his submission on why once the evidence leaders moved and replaced. He was arguing that, um, you know, if you just say my first witness must appear on Tuesday, then the committee already was preempting the removal application. Now, the chairperson just said to uh, Advocate Delimbofu, make your arguments in 60 minutes and um, we will then move on to the first witness tomorrow. Now, to break down the legal consequences of this, if I come and ask for a judge to uh, remove themselves in a court process, that may affect the court process in and of itself because a new judge will have to be appointed. Here, they ask the new evidence needed to be appointed. And by the chairperson saying that, listen, we're going to do this thing tomorrow, make sure your witness is ready, that already shows that he's saying, even if you tell me whatever you're going to tell me, this schedule and timetable is not going to shift. 
meaning that um, you've already decided and you're not supposed to decide in law preemptively. Mm. So if, if I say I'm coming to ask for the headmaster to be removed and then you say tomorrow's assembly, uh, the headmaster is speaking and I haven't even said a word, then you are trying to tell me that uh, you don't actually care about my submission because what if I say the headmaster raped a student, et cetera, et cetera. Right? So that's really what the confrontation was about. But um, going deeper than that, um, that confrontation was now also linked to the leaking of um, you know information that was poorly con- designed to make it seem as if uh, certain advocates were making more money than they were by some of the evidence leaders. Mm. And it's something that is uh, deeply unethical within the legal community. And there was a big issue about it because the advocates actually did come and disclose that that's not how much we made from our legal fees. There was a misrepresentation and also the disclosure of fees uh, by another advocate in a panel such as Mm. this is prejudicial because it was designed to create the impression that the other advocates are stealing money from the people and that they are corrupt when they were merely doing their work. So this all ties into the fact that obviously this is a very delicate moment uh, politically because if the public protector makes a funding against the Ramaphosa for mm. um, you know palapala monies that were found in the, in the, in the that were disclosed to have been in the furniture, mm. that really can uh, be a, a political you know um, what shall we call it. Uh, a landmine for him, you know, um, because right now he is stepping on the landmine mm. because all of the information was disclosed by Arthur Fraser on the 1st of June. But now if he removes his foot before that landmine is diffused, then his political career is basically over. So now there's a lot of shenanigans around this. And to be <laughs> honest, this particular uh, committee has been a site of part of the shenanigans. For me, when I've watched it, I've seen a very abrasive and dismissive uh, chairperson, and in, basically this this committee decision will be reviewed, but nobody actually cares within certain uh, you know factional dynamics of the ANC because all they wanted to do really was to be able to make sure that the public protector is not in any position to make any de- determination before the 16th of December. So that objective has actually been achieved. The question then becomes: next year when these things get examined when there's no more time pressure Mm -hmm. for conference, Mm -hmm. will many of these behaviors stand the test of time and stand legal scrutiny? Because there's no way that judges are going to say in a court that many of the things that we've done here were fair uh, and without bias or prejudice. Like just if you watch the exchanges, it's rather troubling. But that's where the story comes from. It's an extension of the whole impeachment proceedings. And obviously, it's very topical on Twitter because mm. this is one of the big stories of the year for South Africa, but also the political implications are so vast. And tomorrow, um, the, 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 the special panel of judges and, and, and lawyers that was assembled to determine whether there's an impeachable offense for the president to answer to is going to uh, release its findings. Those findings were meant to come out on the 16th of November, they're coming out uh, on the 30th of November, just one day before Parliament closes. So wow. it's going, yeah, you can, like, <laughs> the dynamics of all of this are actually, uh, they're a movie if you think about it. I know, um, it's a fascinating masterpiece, this. It is, it is. <laughs> Netflix is going to have a job making this series. I don't know whether it will be a drama, comedy, or dramedy. I don't, I can't, I've, 
can't figure out but anyway or a horror movie for us taxpayers you know it's, it's you know what it's 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 a, it's a tragedy laced with, <laughs> with 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 comedy because it's so unbelievable that many yeah. of these things happen i mean from the day that i found out about the money when i just thought about it neutrally it's it's crazy to think that just if it was joe biden or rishi sunak mm. or even xi jinping you know, nobody would would even go much further in thinking about the, the dynamics of this. But because obviously our political environment sometimes has bad and worse choices on the table, and there are many people who uh, have concerns about you know other candidates and all of the drama, and other candidates have been implicated in their own levels of corruption, which may be far worse. We've entertained a lot. And really, I think that future generations will also be confused about how did we get to a point where all of the leaders who were running the country were either implicated in housing scandals, money scandals, digital vibes. Is the scandal are just running amok? Absolutely. I mean, you, every time Dalian Pofo speaks, you almost go, I didn't see this coming or I didn't see mm. that coming. It's riveting as it is. But we also have to go to this other story that's trending. And it's the UN panel accusing South Sudan officials of overseeing gang rapes. What is this about? Yeah, so this is a very disturbing story that is coming out of South Sudan uh, from the northern province of South Sudan, which is very oil rich. So the United Nations has a commission on human rights in South Sudan. And that commission said that it had reasonable grounds to believe that, uh, you know, the county commission commissioner in the northern state, uh, state is called Unity, orchestrated gang rapes at a military camp. Uh, the documented abuses that they spoke about uh, also involved uh, beheadings and uh, rape victims being forced to carry severed heads. And um, it's, it's, it's a big, big uh, scandal now because of um, all of the implications here. And um, they actually said that conflict, conflict-related rape and sexual violence in Unity State has become so systemic um, because of the impunity of particular people who are viewed to be powerful in that particular uh, state. And they also pointed out that, you know, uh, sexual abuse has been used as, uh, as a weapon, actually, mm. by all sides in South Sudan's conflict um, since 2013, really. And it's, it's, it's a story which is quite alarming, hmm. um, quite worrying, and, and something that, you know, I think, you know, for, for in, in South Africa, we're going through 16 days of, of uh, you know, activism. Mm. And I think we all need to be aware that, you know, these fights are not only national, they are international. Um, some of the, you know, toxic patriarchal outcomes manifest themselves in the kinds of things that are happening uh, in South Sudan. You know, I can't imagine what it's like mm. to be a woman or a child living in a country where you are scared of being raped by the government mm. and being forced to hold the heads of, you know, people who've been killed and told to, to transport those to graves. That kind of stuff, it, it, it is generational trauma, you know, and unfortunately it, it, it seems to be happening. I'm hoping that uh, all of the African feminist movement, the African Union, and all of the other entities that have been established mm. can take this as seriously as we take the protests 
in Iran and the protests in China, mm-hmm. because oftentimes when things happen that are horrible in Africa, because we are Africans, everybody just ignores it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Africans are supposed to get sick. Africans are supposed to have corrupt governments. Mm-hmm. Africans are supposed to have all of these problems. This is not something that anybody is supposed to go through. And part of what makes the world overlook our stuff is that we don't show solidarity with each other. You know, so to everybody listening, this is something that we need to, uh, you know, in a country like South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, make noise about, you know, to approach ambassadors, to approach uh, any office that mm-hmm. has diplomatic influence in South Africa to say, what is being done about South Sudan? We can't be vocal about issues that happen in Russia and be silent about issues that happen in Sudan. Well, the Foreign Secretary of uh, the UK, James Cleverly, saying that uh, rape is a weapon of war and that they will impose sanctions on those who use rape um, for war purposes. And I mean, it, it, it transcends even to the war in Ukraine. So exactly, mm. you need more of the government officials. And in this case, the South Sudan government, I think Angelina Jolie, the um, US actress, also criticizing the governments over their inaction on wartime sexual violence. And I think those are the right responses. And I think we need to see the South African voice. We need to see the Tariq voice. Our solidarity in Africa cannot be a combat of violence. It cannot be a combat of corruption. It has to be built on solid values. And where things happen that infringe on those values in material ways, I think that we need to see the same kind of comments from South Africa diplomats, the African Union, and every institution on this continent. Hmm. Well, we move now to monkeypox. Oh, I beg your pardon. It's been renamed to mpox. And what, what, what is the reason for that? Is it because of the stigma that's attached to it? Fundamentally, it's because of the stigma that's attached to it. Um, but remember, like, this name has always existed for this uh, particular disease, but they were okay with it because it was happening to Africans. It's exactly the same thing that we were talking about just now. So now when people started getting monkeypox and now it has been renamed mm. in other parts of the world and they're like, oh, this is a disease for monkeys, for Africans. Now let's change the name. You know, the uh-huh. name is not good for us you know, because we're not black. So we need to do something to give this, this thing more social acceptability. So the question then becomes, how were you ever comfortable with the name to begin with? That's really the question mm. that we should all put to the global community to say, this thing wasn't discovered in 2022. It wasn't discovered in 2021 either. So why did you always think that it's okay to have this descriptor? And then only when it affected you, mm-hmm. did you then realize that, hang on, you named this thing poorly. So that's what's happened. Um, it's a big part of, you know, uh, medical discourse right now and trending. But I think the undercurrent of discrimination that actually existed in the original name mm. and keeping the original name and only recognizing that it was a problem. You know, it's like uh, what happened is that they didn't want us to talk about where strands of coronavirus came from until they came from South Africa. Mm. If you recall, all of a sudden it was, you know, the African the African strain, the South African strain, yes. instead of calling it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is another, another version of that really because 
that kind of discourse sometimes exposes the global hypocrisy mm. around the things that are going on because at, at different times when we raise issues and say, hey, don't give these things these names, mm. don't make it seem as if Ebola, you know, is some extraordinary kind of, you know, virus that only affects us. And, and, and we've gone on and on. But now that some of these diseases are getting into terrains that are not just African, mm. all of a sudden people can see the inhumanity mm. of the names, the inhumanity of the treatment. Now they can see the inhumanity of even the human rights responses. And, you know, we live in hypocritical times, but this is one of the, the biggest, I think, underliners of how hypocritical things can be. Hmm. So what happens next now? Do we have to rename chickenpox? We don't want to upset the chickens, you know. <laughs> it's it's ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. But <laughs> mighty Jame, thank you so much. Always great thank unpacking you. trending topics with you. Thank you for having me. That's Mighty Jane, researcher, analyst and social commentator here on Sound Awake chatting with us this morning.